episode of Salty Thoughts with Tamal Dodge. Allie Owens is our guest today. She is a yoga teacher, dancer, lover of life, foodie, and the epitome of calm and relaxed. She's also my buddy. I'm elated to have you here. Thank you for having me. So we're gonna get into it. We're gonna talk about you, we're gonna talk about yoga, sharing yoga, and hopefully everything in between all that. Um, but let's get started. Um, we're gonna talk about your story. Where'd you come from? I haven't known you for a long time. I don't even know your full story, so let's talk about it. Cool. Well, my name's Allie. And I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, and I moved to California to attend UCLA. So I was in the World Arts and Cultures program at UCLA. I was also a dancer. I'm still a dancer, but I was a professional dancer at that time. And I grew up dancing my whole life, going to competitions, training in studios, that whole bit. And so as soon as I got to California, I auditioned for Clear Talent Group and got booked right away, which was pretty amazing. Mm. And I found that during the four years that I was an undergrad that I was kind of tossing between being a professional dancer and being a full-time student and all those sort of things. And um, over the course of, I guess, the first three years, I decided to take on a double major in communications. Um, And luckily, the program that I was involved in allowed me to keep dancing. But I started studying more worldly for forms of dance, if that makes sense. So instead of doing ballet and tap and jazz, which I grew up performing, I started doing samba and African and modern, and that's where I actually found yoga. Mm. So I enrolled in a course of yoga, probably, I don't know, I think it was the fall semester of my junior year. And I loved the practice. It was in the evening, so it was kind of a way just to mellow out and chill out. So if I had an audition that day, it was a really great way just to relax and stretch out my body. If I had a really busy day studying or if I had finals coming up, it just really helped me to center and reground and kind of clear right all the clutter away so I could focus on what I needed to focus on to get a good grade. <laughs> and... Um, And yeah, and so I had this dream of being a corporate woman living in New York on Broadway. I loved Broadway. I loved the performance of Broadway. I loved the stage. I loved all that kind of stuff. So um, I actually went to uh, New York for a summer and I did an internship there. And it was the summer before I studied abroad in Paris. And so I spent about six weeks in New York and I did the New York thing. Kind of felt like I was living the sex in the city lifestyle (laughs) that I I used to watch as a kid. And and it was great. I loved it. I worked for an off-Broadway company and did did a lot of work with them. And then when I came back to L.A., I started working for Nederlander. And Nederlander Mm -hmm. owns a couple of the theaters in Los Angeles. They own the Pantages Theater and they own the Greek Theater. And the Greek theater is more of a concert venue, whereas Pantages is Broadway shows, and they're touring Broadway shows. So I started doing just kind of admin work for them on the side. And I was really lucky. My senior year, I got offered a full-time job, and they wanted me to start in April or something like Mm -hmm. that. And 
Um, I'm also a really avid traveler. I love to travel. I love to explore. And I think that's part of like the world arts and cultures part of me that just likes to see where Samba came from, where Zumba came from, how African dance is really practiced in these tribal settings, you know, all those sort of things. I really love to go and experience those sort of um, cultural dynamics, if that makes sense. Um, and so I didn't start working until September after I graduated, just because I took some time off to go right. and explore. And um, and so when I started working, I, I kind of just discovered that I was falling into a rhythm. You know what I mean? I was falling into a rhythm of the nine to five, of waking up and driving to work, being at work, going to yoga, and then starting all over again. Right. Right. And um, and I got kind of bored really fast. I got bored like in two years, actually. Um, and I did a yoga teacher training with one of my teachers, and it was amazing. It was actually just an excuse to meet more people in LA and to read and study some of the books that I knew were already out there. And, um, and yeah, I think from there, it just one thing led to another. I met Brian Kess. He offered me a class on Tuesday and Thursday nights. And I feel like everybody's evening. story is they met Brian Kess at some I know, point. right? Seriously. <laughs> um, and, and so, yeah, he offered me a class and I took it. And then it ended up being a pretty big success. You know, it was a really great undertaking for me. And I kind of just did it as a side project because I knew I needed to start teaching. I actually never intended to become a teacher. That was a really big thing. I was just like, oh, yeah, I'll share do this it's donation based it's totally cool um and yeah and then things happened at work circumstances arose that kind of led me to reconsider my position uh mm-hmm. with Nederlander in LA and I did the same thing that I did after I graduated from college I took off for a month I went to Australia I did a little personal sabbatical <laughs> <laughs> and then I came back to LA literally just to keep teaching that class because uh, I had grown so close to those students and I just felt that I had a calling back here. I had mm-hmm. a couple other things that showed up for me too that just the universe was kind of directing me back to LA. So um, so I started doing that and then people started to pick up on the fact that I was a teacher, you included. You were a huge part of my success here actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I don't think I'd be here right now if it wasn't for you. Um, yeah, so even like, you know, getting introduced to different studio managers and um, and all of that in LA, it just kind of led me on this path of, of teaching and practicing and sharing the gift of yoga. So mm. it's been pretty amazing. A lot of stuff in between, but that's my story. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, what is, well, let's backtrack a little bit. So <laughs> let's talk about the correlation between yoga and dance, um, and why you feel so many dancers are drawn to yoga. I mean, I, I look at a lot of my students, today and throughout the last 10 years of teaching, I feel like at least 50% of the student body are dancers or had been dancers at some point in their life. What is the big draw? Yeah, I think um, I think we have such a unique demographic in Los Angeles too, you know, because this is such an epicenter for commercial dance and performance. We're going to get a lot of people who are naturally performers or actors or dancers or aspiring people in the entertainment industry. Um, but for me in general, I mean, I remember, I remember that first yoga class at UCLA and I remember getting up into headstand mm. and just having a moment of presence in my body, an instantaneous feeling as though I was here and I was right now, 
Because I, if I wasn't there and I wasn't right now, then I was gonna fall, fall, <laughs> stop, <laughs> drop, and roll. And um, and then also, you know, Warrior Three was a really big pose for me because here I was really able to do a lot of things with my body. I mean, I was really flexible. I was a great performer. Um, and I got into Warrior Three, which on the outside maybe looks like a very simple pose, but for a dancer is really physically challenging because it involves neutral rotation of the hips, balancing on one leg, core engagement. I mean, I just hadn't felt all these muscles before. So being somebody who really relates to their environment through their body, I mean, I'm so much about nonverbal communication and expression through movement. Um, I just found not only that sense of presence, but also that sense of complexity that I really liked in the practice. Um, and I think for myself, I was really, I was really missing spirituality. Like I felt, I felt that spiritual connection as a dancer when I'm moving and I'm in my body and I'm just my mind is kind of blank, for lack of a better word. Um, then I really feel spiritually connected. But then yoga. I mean, because this course was in that program specifically, we talked about some of the historical and philosophical roots of yoga, where it really comes from, what are the chakras, what are some of the principles and the practices that you have to do in your everyday life in order to live the yogi, quote-unquote, lifestyle. And so for me, I really, I was looking, I was looking for a way back to spirit, right, that wasn't the way that I kind of grew up and the way that I was raised. Uh, so yoga just became this really interesting new thing to explore. Mm. So I think dancers are really interested in it because it helps to bring them back into their bodies. I think it's physical enough, so it keeps them interested. Um, and I think for them, it helps to shed just some of the, the judgments and the expectations that are sometimes in the entertainment industry. And I don't think anybody will really deny that. There's a lot of like you know, judgments and criticisms and trying to make it or trying to be something that you're not. Um, and yoga is really about being who you are. So I think that there's a big need and a big draw for that. Yeah, it's very um, liberating for a lot of people when they get into a yoga class and they get mm -hmm. on their mat and they don't have to show off. They don't have to do anything. Well, some yeah, people show off. there's no mirrors. Off, <laughs> like, it's like, oh, there's no mirror. I have to really feel how I'm moving, you yeah. know, without that critical eye looking at you and reflecting back. Yeah, I it mean, just becomes great. like this personal experience in a group setting. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I have a um, probably personal question for you mm -hmm. is, how has your practice changed over the last few years, and what's your evolution been like? Sure. Um so I think for me, yoga yoga was kind of like an awakening experience at first, right? When I first was learning, it was very awakening. So I just, I was really interested in learning all about it. Um, and then it became kind of like a checkout practice, if that makes sense. So it kind of was a moment for me to check out and get out of my work life. And so I would just go and not really think about it. And then over time... Um, over time, I, I started to check back in. So mm. um, I think we all hit these like peaks and these plateaus in our physical practice specifically. And uh, for me, when I became a teacher, I became, I'm always interested in asana because I'm a dancer and I love to move. 
Um, but I became much more interested in the meditation and in the mindfulness and in Ayurveda and in some of the the nutritional aspects of yoga, right? So um, my practice has definitely changed just in the fact that I'm around the physical practice so much more, right? So not to say that I'm less interested in that, but my focus has definitely shifted. I've slowed down a little bit. Right. So I wanted I wanted the hard vinyasa power classes at first, and now I'm leading more yin and restorative and gentle <laughs> yoga, and I'm taking you know long periods throughout the day just to sit and watch my mind. And um, so I think my practice has actually slowed down to a certain extent over the last few years, but it's also sped up in other ways. So that's kind of the eightfold path that you go on, right? Mm-hmm. You start. You start with the yamas and the yamas, you go to asana, and then you go to meditation and the concentration and all that stuff. So I feel like that's just a natural evolution, especially mm-hmm. if you're around yoga so much that you um, realize the yoga poses can only take you so far. And then you're yeah. like, well, well, then what else is there? What else is there to do besides, I mean, how many up dogs are you going to do and how many down dogs are you going to do before you realize, okay, i got to start uplifting myself in other ways, not just uplifting this temporary physical material body mm-hmm. and when you start kind of flirting with the philosophical and spiritual aspects of yoga you realize wow there's so much more i mean if you really dive into Pantanjali's eight sutras you realize there's an enormous mountain of stuff to tackle and Absolutely. it's such a process to even start the first couple mm-hmm. and a lot of them are super challenging for people uh, especially in the yamas and niyamas of gosh, how do I do this? It's like life-changing for me to just start the process of the basic things of ahimsa or satya and all these different aspects that in our society, especially with Western culture, seem very unnatural. Mm-hmm. It's like reversing our, our habits that we're raised with, of what we eat, what we say, what we do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think your evolution is just very natural, especially for... Um, individuals who are aspiring to continually grow yeah I mean the only thing I would add to that is that you know in my in my studies over the years I've worked with different energy healers and gotten into into that work and so the chakras have become such a beautiful part of my life and they've helped to re-inspire some of the because whereas like the poses can get really redundant Mm -hmm. right um it's helped to re-inspire a new sense of feeling, like a deeper feeling in each of the poses. Mm-hmm. So whereas, you know, you're just kind of learning the mechanics in the beginning, it starts to become more of an of an energetic or a subtle body experience. And you're less interested in, in really the performance of the poses, both like mm-hmm. what's going on underneath it. Um, but I think some of those, some of those lifestyle changes are much more challenging to make. Yeah. I mean, even a simple thing like adding lemon to your water or cutting caffeine or whatever it is, you know, those things, it kind of takes a deep mental retraining, Mm. you know, for you to actually, you know, go back and start to ask questions like, does this work for me? Is this working for my highest good? And to turn down maybe opportunities to do the things that felt so like an automatic yes right you know um and 
and to make new lifestyle choices. And what's really beautiful about that process, though, is that you start to attract, right, other mm-hmm. people who are interested in the same sort of things that you are. You know, your community actually starts to grow. And you get to meet people who are into the health and into the wellness, and they're supporting you on your path, and everyone's talking about this stuff. I mean, that's what's great about yoga and the community is that you have a lot of like-minded people all basically supporting each other through this kind of like undoing and then reconditioning, if that makes sense. I I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think that um, just in general with, let's say somebody is living a lifestyle that is completely unhealthy. Let's say they get up at three in the afternoon, Mm -hmm. their first meal is just bacon, eggs, a Red Bull, giant cup of espresso, Mm -hmm. go out, party all night, take a bunch of drugs, such and so forth. That's like an extreme example. But let's say that person starts to wake up a little earlier and maybe does 10 minutes of yoga. Mm -hmm. Usually you start to see evolutions. I've actually seen some friends who just got addicted to substances, totally messed up their life, but they just started doing little tiny changes, like, oh, cutting caffeine and these different things. They just started doing little changes, like adding little yoga. It starts to change your consciousness, starts mm-hmm. to make you want to do things that are healthy and beneficial emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. And that person can start going further and further the more they add these things because the more you start doing positive change, the more it inspires you to change yourself and share it with others and you start to attract like-minded people. Similar like um, when you hang out with um, people who are in AA, they talk about you hang out with people who are just wanting to party and do drugs, you're most likely going to do that. But then you hang out with people who are like-minded that want to uplift your consciousness or used to be addicts but now want to change. That's why they have a support system. You automatically are wanting to change and evolve. And something that you were talking about with um, you know, bringing in chakras and things like that into just your teaching style. How it, yes, we're pretty much taught in teacher trainings the basics of anatomy, of Western anatomy, muscles, bones, tissue, joints. And then you start to get into what I call Eastern anatomy and you start to learn about chakras and nadis and you start to learn about energy healing and meridians and all these things that um, have to do with your subtle material body and it makes it more fascinating and more interesting, mm-hmm. um, which I guess could actually lead us into another question is, do you get burnt out on teaching and do you feel it becomes redundant like a habitual action? Um, I know myself, I get burnt out often and I have to do specific things to make myself still interested, similar to what you're saying with, mm-hmm. oh, you added the chakras in, it makes it more um, unique and makes it um, inspiring. Uh, what are some of your tricks? I mean, I'll, sh- I'll share some of mine if you share some of yours. Totally. Um, definitely want to hear yours. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, the only thing that I was going to say about about the other thing is that the reason, one of, I mean, there have been a few really life-changing experiences for me, and usually it starts with some sort of trick. Usually it, it takes me to get out of my current environment if that makes sense and to go away and to do something like a yoga retreat or a 10-day detox or um, a meditation retreat something that just kind of pulls you out of your routine so that you can kind of gain a little bit more perspective and outside awareness of like oh life can we can live life like this or maybe you just develop an appreciation for the life that you live here 
you know, and you go to some of these other countries and you realize how blessed we are. Like, <laughs> I mean, I come back home to Manhattan Beach and I'm just like, this is, this is literally, it's paradise for yeah. most people around the world. And you feel really lucky and you feel really blessed and it just gives you that perspective of like, how can I give back or how can I be a better role model, not only for myself, but for my community. And, and those little changes that you make each and every day, like that's a practice. It's not easy. You know, it's definitely one of those things that you have to keep up with people, right. That are on the same journey with you and keep surrounding yourself. I can't tell you how many people I've attracted into my life that are like, Oh, I really want to do yoga. And I'm like, Oh, okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) Like you pull them in, you know, and it's really great. And, um, and you see them through their journey too. So it becomes, it becomes like a really fun thing, but I do think there is something to be said about stepping outside of your comfort zone and maybe seeing something and, and traveling a little bit as far as like being burnt out on teaching. You know, I had a tough, um, first two years, I want to say, and that's where I really got into the energy work because I just realized that, um, for myself, I mean, I, I was so, I love yoga so much that I wanted to do it with my students and that's not going to work as a teacher. (laughs) You do do four and a half hours of yoga a day. Yeah, I got really, you know, I got really lucky. I think um, the first two weeks when I got back from Australia, Jerome um, had asked me, if you guys don't know Jerome, he's like an amazing yoga teacher in Santa Monica, asked me to sub out all of his classes for two weeks while he was in Costa Rica. And if you know Jerome, Jerome teaches 16 to 20 times a week. And so I automatically said yes, because I knew I needed the money, I knew I needed the experience, and I was just honored that he was asking me. Um, But then I remember teaching three classes in one day, and literally between classes two and three, going home, laying in my bed and throwing the covers over my face and just asking myself how I was going to make it through another 90 minute class. Cause you, cause as a teacher, you give a lot, you know, you give a lot of yourself, you get a lot of your energy, you hold space for people. And that is a really beautiful thing, but that in and of itself takes its own level of stamina. Right. And, um, and I lost my voice like the first six months. I was constantly, losing my voice so I had to do things to clear my throat or drink tea or strengthen my vocal cords and I didn't even know how to do that you know I mean all those little things that I think we don't really learn you don't really learn in a teacher training maybe some teacher trainings you'll you'll kind of go through that process but you know it can be it can be really energetically exhausting if you don't take care of yourself so um so I did, I started doing a lot of, of energy work. I started doing a lot of clearing and meditation. And I also made time for myself. So I think that that's a really important part of that process is just making time to practice yourself to, for me, it was cooking for myself. So like if I if I was feeling depleted, then I would go into the kitchen and I would make something that's healthy and nourishing, things that help to uplift, you know, my body and give me more energy. You start to realize that food is not pleasure. It's really a necessity. And to put good food into your body is like putting good fuel into your car. And if you're not doing that, then you're going to feel heavy, right? And so so there are these little things. It's it's the same thing. It's like these little lifestyle changes that you start to make. I started using essential oils, you know, and um, I started using those just for scents and uplifting and mood enhancers. And I started just shifting little things throughout the day. And then over time, you know, you get 
more and more savvy and interested and um and your students you start you know you stop you stop really like trying to do too much right you try to allow them to have their process and um and you develop that stamina for it and now it's now I actually get a lot of energy from teaching so Mm -hmm. now it's one of those things where instead of walking into a room and needing to sit at the end and to clear everything, which I do just for my own personal, like, well-being, I actually get a lot of, like, inspiration and energy from showing up and teaching and sharing and seeing, you know, people transform. It's it's a miracle, you know? I mean, I, I almost feel selfish doing it sometimes because I'm like, you know, I know you're getting a lot, but I'm getting a lot too, so thank you. I'm really grateful. Um, so... Yeah, I think my tricks are just make time for yourself, eat well, um, you know, maybe even take a trip or two for yourself, mm. you know, take a, go on a yoga retreat or just take the day off, schedule days off. That was, that's, that's a hard one for me. It's definitely a hard one. People are like, oh, can you cover that class? I'm like, yeah, yeah. no, wait, no. <laughs> it's my only day off this week. I should not do that. Um, yeah. And... Um, and yeah, just kind of get into other things that kind of make you feel better, whether that's sea salt baths or aromatherapy or getting outside, connecting mm. with nature, those things. You were talking about losing your voice. You made me thirsty. I need some water. I know. So what are your tricks? <laughs> um, I totally agree with you. I think that you have to make time for yourself. Um, and then, I mean, personally, I do things also that are, I guess, on yoga related that also just make me step outside of the yoga room. I just, you know, teach so much, uh, especially when I do so many teacher trainings and I'm just like talking about, you know, chaturanga for 10 hours. So I just go off and I do something that is un-yoga related. Mm -hmm. I'll just go to the beach, I'll surf. I also got into Brazilian jiu-jitsu years ago and I still do it a lot. Mm -hmm. And, um, which is definitely beats up the body. It's not as healing as yoga for sure, but it definitely... Um, I, I like martial arts. It, it changes your perspective on a lot of things and also helps you burn energy, clears your mind, de-stresses it, similar to some of the results you get from yoga, but just in a less passive way. <laughs> yeah. um, but for actual yoga classes themselves, um, I do specific things every week. I have a ritual now, and the ritual for making my classes where I feel just super excited to do them is... I had to problem solve. So there was a point in my life where I was teaching just way too much. There was a point in my life where I was teaching 20 to 25 classes and I was burnt and fried. And I had to sit down and say, okay, my class sucks. I had to be honest with myself and I could see it sucked. And not only did it it suck, it was just because I was so checked out and I'd been teaching for so long that I just, and teaching too much that I literally was checked out. So I wasn't invested in it, so if you're not invested in something, the students are going to pick that up, and your class is just not going to be authentic anymore. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, how do I make this authentic? And I realize I have to inspire myself to actually get in there and do it. I have to want to do this. Yeah. If I don't want to do it, and the whole time I'm there, I'm like, lift your right leg up, lunge the right foot, crescent foot. <laughs> you know, it just becomes horrible. Mm-hmm. And... I found myself not even wanting to be in a yoga room. In a yoga room, I'm like, that's a bad sign. 
supposed to be doing this. I'm supposed to be helping people. I don't even want to go in there. Mm-hmm. That's how burnt out I got to certain point. So what do I do to change that? And so when I cut down my classes, mm-hmm. I'm like, I have to, like you said, reserve your energy. I still am not good about having one day off. I currently don't have any days off, but I'm getting, I know. Well, I'm I mean, getting it's, there. It's hard, you know, because we do like two or three classes and we have so much time in between, right? Yeah. So you think, oh, I could do this every day, but there is something really nice about having a day where you, you need wake a day. up. Yeah. Yeah. You need a day for sure. And I'm working on it. But once I get that day, <laughs> that's all good. But right now I'm still inspired. And, and yeah. so what I do is I make sure that when I'm going to teach a class, and this doesn't apply to all teachers because not all teachers play music. But I realized also some things that I were doing were environmental that were making me burnt out. And a lot of teachers are guilty of it around Los Angeles. I mean, no judgment because I obviously did it for years. Mm-hmm. But I go to some teachers' classes and they're still playing the exact same music they played since like 2008. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? So they're, yeah. And they're still teaching the exact same class they've been teaching since 2008. Do you know what I'm saying? So I, and I'm not saying I'm better than those people because I did the same exact thing for years. I teach the same class. Same music, didn't change anything, and nobody wants to watch... Some people watch a movie once, twice, Mm -hmm. three, four times, but after 980-something times of watching a movie, you don't ever want to watch that movie again. You're falling asleep in the middle. Yeah, Yeah, it's like, what is going on? Same thing, it's like, I wasn't invested, so I realized, okay, I need to go back, reassess. So I reassess, I dropped, I only taught like 12 classes a week, which is still a lot, but I felt better about it. And then from there, I realized I wanted to change my music and not only change my music I was going to make a point to change my music at least once a week so now every Monday I set aside and I create an entire new playlist with a song I've never even played before in class every single time every week and I've been doing this for a few years now and I was scrolling through uh, my iPhone with a friend of mine and I literally have more playlists than you can ever imagine he's like don't you feel you could like just like pull one out from like two years ago and no one's gonna know it was but to me I know I've played it before mm-hmm. for a whole week so now I don't ever play a single song that I've played before so every week I do a new playlist again this doesn't apply to all teachers some teachers play no music I my mean, friend Catherine Biedig doesn't play music Brian Kess doesn't play music it's very personal but I love music I love it in my class so I do that and then I make sure that every week I can have elements that are the same in my class, but the class cannot be entirely the same. Mm-hmm. I can have specific things that are there that were similar to class that I've taught. Obviously, I'm going to have A and B series, but even then I'll mix that up in a different order. Or, mm-hmm. you know, once you've taught B series 15,000 times, you're not going to always teach a warrior one. You'll say crescent one time, and mm-hmm. give options for handstands or stuff. You've got to mix it up. So it'll always have the bones of stuff that I've taught, but it will never be the same every class. And I mm-hmm. have to change that. So I realized I had to change my class regularly, change my playlist every week. And not only that, but I have to take five minutes before I teach. And I used to do it either in my car or something where I sit. And no matter what I've gone through, and I've gone through a lot of stuff over the years, like family members passing away, crazy stuff happening right before I'm supposed to teach a class. Mm. And, you know, classic rookie mistake as a teacher, I would go in there and bring my own shit into a class yeah, and yeah. try not to but I am and I'm like in this dark mood blah, blah, oh my god all this stuff and you can't do that because it's not the class isn't I realize is not about you whatsoever it's about mm-hmm. the people in the room so I take five minutes clear my plate clear my head no matter what's going on in my life I go into that room and I go I am your servant for the next hour and a half and I'm happy to be here and I love you guys and I want to share this with you and I have to genuinely go in there and give it everything I got even if I'm tired 
and my mind isn't all there because we all have those days where you have continual brain farts and you can't avoid that. But I go in there and I give it everything I have and I have to set aside those five minutes before I walk into that room. And then when I do that, I get what you get. As soon as the class is done, I feel super contact high from being around those people. Totally. And I'm like, all right, let's teach another class. Yeah, let's go. Which is the exact opposite response I had in the past where I teach a class like, oh, God, I never want to teach another yoga class again. I'd be like, leave out of there so tired. And I'm like, that's a horrible place to be. Now when I leave a class, I'm like, all right, let's do another one. Mm-hmm. Let's go again. Let's go take a class. I feel amped up and I feel inspired. And um, and then I, the other thing I realized is I have to care so much about what I teach. So like I got obsessed about my class. Like if I say mix up my right and left even one time in a class it bums me out a little bit and I'm like next time I'm going to give it even more because I wasn't paying attention and I'm going to give it all my attention I was I had a lapse of of memory there and I was like mixed it up and I want to always be 100% involved because that means I'm present with the people and so um, caring a lot and caring it caring so much about what you teach makes me super inspired and then the fifth and final thing is I always got to read and learn more and if I Mm -hmm. wasn't learning more I get burnt out because I have nothing else to share. So reading and learning more about yoga, you can always, it's endless. Whether it's poses, philosophy, breath work, meditation, subtle body, like uh, chakras and stuff you're talking about, you got to always learn more. And if you don't learn more, you're going to get burnt out because you have, you have stuff that you feel like you're just on continue autopilot with a tape recorder playing the same playlist over and over and then you're, you're the playlist talking. So... And then there's other aspects that I add into a class that I didn't do. Probably when you met me, I was teaching kind of mellow yoga. And then I just had a lot of fun teaching over-the-top hard classes. Yeah. And they and that's not for everybody again. But for me, that was exciting. And because of people's energy gets so high, it got me really excited and, and energetic about it. So even my style changed. And those are definitely teachers' personal preferences of how they're going to teach their class. But um, those are definitely things that I add in to stay inspired and to stay intrigued with what I'm doing. Um, And then I started teaching meditation and sharing a lot of stuff I grew up with in a yoga ashram. And that has been something that I've loved doing in teacher trainings for years. Like it's like my favorite thing in the world, but now I started teaching little workshops on it and that has just taken me on a whole nother road. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny because I'm I'm listening to you and I'm, and I'm hearing almost like all those same things, you know, I mean, I think as teachers, we forget that we're also students mm-hmm. and that we have to stay interested in learning and educated and all this stuff. I mean, my, um, my mom and I actually have a little, like a book club, if that makes sense. Yeah. So we've read A Course of Miracles together, we're reading A Course of Love right now. I'll, you know, I'll sit down with the yoga sutras and sometimes I'll do that right before I go teach. And that keeps me inspired, you know, in terms of what I'm sharing in the room. So I like to share a lot of myself and, and who I am and all that kind of stuff as we, um, as I enter into my classes and, you know, I've taken a lot of different trainings in terms of sequencing. So how people are sequencing their classes and how people are, um, how people are, are piecing together, right, the yoga asanas. Because mm. we've seen, you know, very traditional ashtanga become something way more expressive through vinyasa. Yeah. And then we've seen some of the classical poses get transformed into these interesting and these new variations, which I think is a really beautiful thing. Um, so for me, my home practice is really a sacred time. Mm. Um, when I can set aside, I mean, even before I came over here, when you can just set aside 
20, 30, 40, 90 minutes to just lay your mat down and then tap into tap into your source, tap into your spirit, tap into your own sense of imagination and inspiration. Sometimes when I put my hands on my mat in my living room, I have no idea where my body is going to take me, but more than likely it takes me on this really unique and really interesting journey that all makes sense at the end of the day. It's balanced and it's it's well informed. And if it's a classroom that I know, so if it's a class that I've been teaching very consistently, then I'll share some of that practice with them. Yeah. And I'll say, this is what I this is what I I felt today. You know, this is what I read this morning. This is what I felt in my body, and I'd love to share that with you. And if it's a room that I feel like is is well equipped and can handle it, and and all that kind of stuff, then those practices are just so great because then I'm present with my students. And then there are some rooms that you walk into and you have no idea who's going to be in the room. You know, you have no idea. And it could be, and this is especially true in the power yoga community, but I'm I'm experiencing this more and more as I start to travel and teach, is that you really just have to come in with your lifetime of experience, right? With your Mm -hmm. knowledge and just be completely open to serving who it is in the, who is in that room and it's not about you it's just really about moment by moment being so present and you can move them through sun salute a or sun salute b and you can do some of i think it's really important to have a strong foundation um one of the things that i loved in one of my teacher trainings a long time ago was john gato said you know don't make it fancy the stuff works Mm-hmm. Right. So when you're new and you're just getting started, get to know a safe sequence for a beginner, for an intermediate and for an advanced teacher. And if you are just working on getting the words out, stick to the sequence because the stuff works. It's been proven to work. It's magical. Sometimes those are my favorite classes when I can just walk in and I know it's going to be a, B, Warrior Two, Trikonasana, Ardhachandrasana, some sort of neutral twist, backbend. You know, I love those classes because it's just like, it just works in the body, right? Yeah. And then I love all those like also really colorful and intricate sequences. You know, I've done stuff with Laughing Lotus and I just love their flows. I think they're so fun. Yeah, it's super um, playful. Yeah. Rules are really, broken. Rules are broken. But you know what? That is like <laughs> their model, I gotta say. <clears throat> incorporate so much mantra and meditation and they have their dharma talk at the beginning and i just i love you know what i mean how well informed all of those teachers are too so um so yeah i think it's it's a really beautiful part of our process and maybe that's why i don't get burnt out doing teaching this is because i'm so inspired Mm. by how the practice is evolving but also i'm really grounded in my foundation and like what really grabbed me at the beginning um and knowing that i can always come back to that if i need to um but then feeling free to to explore right this is chakra one and two have a strong foundation explore and be creative Mm -hmm. right and it just depends on how well you know the room and the students in there and how um and how present you are if you're really able to read their energy and how it's transforming. Yeah, and the energy can be so different dynamic. Like I'll go into a class and there'll be like, you know, 15 super fit dancers in the room, Mm -hmm. you know, super fit um, moms in the room, some corporate guys in the room, and then someone who's in the way back, some dude who's like 
50 pounds overweight wearing sweatpants and socks and it's his first class. Totally. I mean, you, then you, that happened, that happened yesterday. <laughs> There's always a dude who's got like extra 50 pounds and he's wearing socks and it's his first class and he's got the slipperiest mat on the sun from Target and you're just, oh my God, oh I want to help this poor guy. But their face is so glowing at the yeah, end. Do yeah. you know what I mean? That is the thing that's just so amazing. I had, yeah, same thing happened to me yesterday. And, you know, I think I had a fear for a while um, around teaching people who weren't like me because I just didn't know what to do. I was like, does that feel good? How does that feel? Like, you, know, you know what I mean? And then you start working privately with people, which I love working. I love working privately with people. I love that one-on-one. Yeah. I love that instantaneous feedback. I love learning about people and, and their life experiences and tailoring the practice to them. You know, like I think that is... That's the way, you know, asana was originally taught, right? Was teacher to student. And I just, I find that I learned so much more about the practice and about myself in the practice. I mean, you're so responsible for some of the energy in the room too. I think you told me that a long time ago. It's like, you might see a bunch of people who are really up and giddy at the beginning of class. And you're like, we're going to start in child's pose today. Yep. Like ground it down. Or you see a lot of people who are really, you know, kind of like somber and they're kind of like lurking around. And you're like, we're going to start standing into dasana and you just flip it right away and i think that being aware of yourself is such an important key as a teacher too you know really taking responsibility for your presence in the room and and how it is that you're showing up like that five minutes that you take or um before you walk into class it's it's such a it's such a beautiful journey and it's always changing you know what i mean like whereas i got bored in those two years of doing the corporate thing over and over again you like you get the template and I had a really amazing boss for a couple of years who just kept me inspired in my position. Um, but I, I get how it can become really like redundant. You can get really run down from it. And, you know, I always like to to remind myself in the morning, like today I choose to live, right? Yeah. I think you can choose to live or you can choose to die. Like you're slowly die, dying or you're like thriving, <laughs> right? And it just depends. Like you can, it just depends. And I choose to live, I choose to thrive and to keep changing and growing. Um, yeah, and I just, I want that for everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's just um, one of those things that I think helps people, even in their yoga practice, is deciding um, how they're going to live their life with yeah. a similar idea. I mean, even a lot of people don't even know when they first come to a yoga class, a lot of people are like, I just know I'm not happy and I don't feel good and I'm just on this mat and what, hopefully this will do something. For, I don't even know. And then they come out of there and you see people with your reaction of, I don't know what just happened, but something happened and I feel amazing. Mm-hmm. And it happens more often than not. I mean, and that's just the physical stuff. Um, yeah. And you feel that too. You know, like I remember, I always remember whenever I walk into a class as a teacher, how good I feel after I've taken a really good yoga class. And I'm like, oh, I can create that experience for everyone in the room. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I more tears than I can like count have been shed on my mat. And you never know what people are going through, right? Mm -hmm. And so knowing how transformational my practice is for me really helps me to show up for those who who choose to spend your time with you, right? Yeah, I mean, I've I've had students come up to me and tell me things like, oh my gosh, my father just passed away and Mm -hmm. it's been the last two months that I've been grieving and I've been coming to your class every day and it really helped me through it. I mean, that is just... There's not even words to describe somebody saying that to you. It's just, you can't put a price on it. It's mm-hmm. just completely um, overwhelming with um, the feeling of 
gratitude to be able to teach and share this stuff that helps people so much um, and also uplifts you and you're so happy that you're able to help uplift somebody somebody else mm-hmm. I mean <clears throat> they say that you know one in three people in the world um, say they're happy only one in three say they're happy mm-hmm. um, this m- means the majority of the world's population is unhappy and like we were talking about there's definitely unequivocal proof that yoga is helpful mm-hmm. it can heal them and that's just the physical stuff but I'm I'm curious to see um, what kind of changes will happen with people if they start adding in more than just the physical they add in the meditation Patanjali's eight sutras and we're not diluting it anymore or commercializing it or westernizing it um, but we're actually trying to take it um, as its ancient traditional format and see what will happen. And I think that one in three will change and that people will find satisfaction and happiness. And I'm curious to see and ask you, how has yoga changed you mm-hmm. um, and your outlook on life? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, like I said in the very beginning, like yoga really added an element of spirituality to my life that I thought was missing. So just even a faith, right, that there was there was a universal consciousness or something, something out there, right, that was kind of helping to drive this this destiny, right, or even, you know, create some sort of meaning for your existence. And I think that when people get in touch with their purpose, you know, it really turns them on what they become passionate about, then their lives start to change mm-hmm. um, because every day they, they wake up with a new meaning. And, um, you know, and I love those purpose driven businesses that are about something that is bigger than just themselves right and you know that you're here for a reason um and you're here to to really be with people like i said you're really here to live and i think that as people become a little bit more self-aware if that makes sense um and take responsibility for their lives and start to make choices i mean i can't even tell you i had to shed all of I mean even just the communication right all the shoulda woulda couldas like I should be doing this I could be doing that instead of doing this I would have done that if I didn't have to do this like really letting go of have to and really letting go of I don't have time and really embracing my own personal choices and saying I choose to make time for yoga or um you know I would love to take that trip let's figure out how to do it so being more solutions based I guess rather than um more on the other train you know really just helped me to step into my power and to step into my potential I think um and figure out what it is that I am truly passionate about and what is my purpose and why do I wake up every day and when I jump on the phone call with that person like you know, not really having any expectations, but just kind of seeing where it goes. I mean, even this, right? You just you have no idea where, where the conversation's going to take you and what's going to grab you and, and all those sort of things. So I think that, that you know, that happiness factor, um, my energy worker told me something a long time ago. She said, happiness is the state of the mind, but bliss is the state of the body. So you can kind of like think about what makes you happy, right? You can think about the things that you do every day that bring you joy. Um, you know, hanging out with my partner makes me really happy. Getting outside and being in sunshine makes me happy. Moving on my mat makes me happy. But then like the the feeling that you get, like the embodiment of that experience is what causes your inner vibration. 
and your if your inner vibration is on this positive current what people don't realize is that like is our natural state of being like that's our natural current of life and if we can kind of keep going down that um that stream then all of a sudden all these fish are going to want to join right everyone's going to want to everyone's going to want to join the happiness train and um i think that as we're seeing our practices evolve you know as we're seeing our practices evolve into meditation into cooking you know i love to spin so i actually find i use my yoga while i'm on that bike and sometimes i'll see myself stop 10 seconds before the finish line and i'm like what's that all about you know what i mean mm -hmm. and so you'll st i'll start to observe myself in other areas of my life mm -hmm. and to me that's the yoga mm -hmm. right that's really being present and that's really being in the now and asking questions and saying instead of slowing down just before you finish can you speed up a little bit and what does that do to my psyche right what does that do to some of my conditioning maybe from this life past lives whatever it is and um and i love that process right so then you start to bring this practice into all areas of your life and how you talk to your kids or how i interact with my mom or how i handle a challenging situation even when you know how you handle grief you know mm -hmm. and so i think that like i said in the you know like yoga used to be a checkout experience it was that 90 minute just escape and then you start to realize that oh that 90 minutes can stretch like that can stretch into an hour that can stretch into a day and then that can stretch into a week mm -hmm. and then that can stretch into the rest of your life if you choose um but it's got to be your choice and no one can make that choice for you mm. and if you try to force that upon anybody if you try to like encourage other people to do it then it's really that's the time to take a step back right right and just keep focusing on yourself and your practice and your own personal journey and just encourage people to um to do that for themselves because i think everybody wants to be empowered in their life right yeah, totally. we have enough marketing messages out there that are telling us what to do <laughs> <laughs> and, and I, I think also um you know what i try to encourage people to do that can create i feel a different kind of happiness so, so something i've been talking about a lot in classes at the end in our meditation is um okay so if material things were going to make us happy mm -hmm. and we live in america which is one of the wealthiest countries in the whole world one of the wealthiest countries in the whole world yet 70 75 percent of every american says they're unhappy and that clearly states that material things are not going to be the source of happiness because if material things made us the happiest we should say we're a hundred percent happy in this culture or in this country or close to it but we're not so i mean what i encourage people to do is to become philosophical and it's like you were saying you know it, being able to accept that there may be a, a higher power or something out there mm -hmm. um, that is guiding us and you know not to say that there's no free will that there's no free will there's obviously free will you can choose what you want to believe whether there's a god or there's not a god it's totally up to you but what i encourage people to do is just get a little philosophical and um become a little more introspective there's this um, wonderful story um, that I share in teacher trainings a lot is so Sir Isaac Newton he is a obviously a world-renowned uh, scientist discovered the law of gravity he also had another friend who was uh, a world-famous scientist but the difference between Sir Isaac Newton and his friend is Sir Isaac Newton 
was a theist and his friend was an atheist. And they'd have philosophical debates about whether there was a god or not a god. And his friend would always be like, dude, there's no god, okay? It was just this big bang, all this stuff kind of unfolded and all this shit just happened. And which is totally cool and fine, but they would get in these heated debates and Sir Isaac Newton just said, hey, you know, man, in so many words, I need a break. Yeah. So they took a break from each other. Meanwhile, Sir Isaac Newton built a mini solar system mm-hmm. that was electronic, with all the planets orbiting the sun, and he set it in his living room. His friend comes over, knocks on the door, Sir Isaac Newton runs to his desk, turns his back to this amazing mini solar system with all these planets orbiting the sun, and he's tinkering at his desk, and he says, come in! And his friend comes in. His friend can't help but notice this incredible mini electronic solar system whipping around in his living room, and he goes, whoa, who made this? Mm-hmm. Who made this? And Sir Isaac Newton goes, nobody, it just happened. And he's right. just tinkering at his desk, and his friend's like, come on, man, who made this? And he goes, nobody, it just happened. And he goes, you think I'm an idiot? And Sir Isaac Newton turns around and says, I don't think you're an idiot. He goes, but I think it's kind of strange and ironic that you absolutely demand that somebody made this small insignificant mini version of the real thing but the real more impressive big thing you absolutely deny that somebody made it yeah and all of a sudden open up a conversation so really what i encourage people to do to start to open up the gateways of what i call yoga happiness or ananda blissfulness santosha contentment is get philosophical have conversations like me and ali owens are having ask friends about their philosophical ideas, meditate on it, reflect on it, and see where that road takes you because, I mean, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. At least that's my perspective on it. And when you can do that Mm -hmm. and you have these conversations, you don't know what kind of doors are going to open up and how um, electrified your consciousness will get. Yeah, it's. I mean, what I always like to like come back to is that you could be right, right? This could just be a big pile of rock, lava at the middle. <laughs> you could just be like existing beings, like my body could turn to ash and maybe that's it. But then I think about how much more enchanting and magical and fun life is and then how many serendipitous moments show up when you do start to believe and you start to open up your consciousness a little bit more to just the perchance that that could be a possibility. And, you know, even just a scroll through on Pinterest, right? And you get these inspirational quotes that just you go, you're like, yeah, yeah. Or you think, you know, you're thinking about somebody and all of a sudden they send you a text message or, you know, there's all these things that happen out there, right? And so it's just, it's becoming that witness, right? That witness or that observer and not having any judgment. Like that's one of my favorite quotes is, you know, the highest form of enlightenment is self-observation without judgment. Um, and I think that that's a great, you know, way to just look at your life too. Just self-observation, no judgment, observe, reflect, absorb as much as you can, keep what you want, leave what you don't, and just know that that's your choice. Whatever makes you, whatever makes you like, you know, a more positive human being and not only for yourself in this lifetime, but for the people around you, like, um, yeah, yeah. one of my, well, my, in yoga, they say your first spiritual master, your first guru mm-hmm. should be your father. And for a, obviously a lot of us in the world, it's probably not that way at all, <laughs> you know, depending on what you're upbringing. But my father was definitely my first guru or first spiritual teacher. And um, he passed away when I was a teenager, 
but one of the things he always said to me growing up was there is a huge difference between belief and faith mm-hmm. and belief is something that can change when we were a kid we believe Santa Claus is real because we believe it because people tell us it but then when we get older that belief changes and we realize there's no big fat guy with a red jumpsuit and a beard jumping through your chimney and giving you <laughs> presents. Um, How'd that bicycle get down here? Yeah, that bicycle get into that. I don't even have a, I don't even have a chimney. I don't even have a chimney. <laughs> <laughs> he jumped through the keyhole. But, oh, um, reindeer don't fly. And Darn. then you, know, you have a belief that so many things happen. You have belief that Superman is real or all these different things and your belief changes. But faith um, is founded on spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. Spiritual experiences that traditionally are founded upon um, sutures or scriptures and so you know like we are having this conversation now obviously it's just really especially in the beginning stage it's just about being inquisitive being open and seeing where that road takes you and then you know deciding whether this stuff makes sense or it doesn't make sense if it's totally. uh, if it's all you know nothing or if there's something really to it but if you get the answer that something is really to it you got to follow that calling because otherwise you'll feel like you denied yourself something. You know how when there's something speaks to you in your heart or your gut and you're like, oh, dang, I should have listened. I should have, should have, would have, could have, like you said in the past. you got to open up to the callings. Um, something I did want to, since we're on this topic, um, address is how do you feel yoga can help with the edification of future generations and how do you feel or what do you feel yoga has to offer for you know all the young people coming up into the world yeah um yeah that's kind of along the lines of what i was going to say right i mean even when you come down to like the koshas right the layers of the body you know yoga is so beneficial for your physical body i think that we have a lot of um habits right we do in our everyday life whether that's slouching or driving or even if you're overly overly fit and active you can yoga can offer you the flexibility that your body needs in order to stretch out um it can give you the strength and the stability that your body needs in order to you know like for me as a dancer restore um kind of restore stability and a sense of grounding uh so you know for younger people as they're coming up um i think that I think we're starting to reject some old ways of thinking and some old patterns and we're starting to really ask questions as to why certain products or certain businesses are are running um, things and as we become more conscious um, we can start to make choices that are um, more in alignment right, mm-hmm. with our, our natural way of being and so you know as kids are coming up and they're learning about the power of meditation to overcome, let's say, anxiety or depression. I mean, I can't... Or I, all the pharmaceutical medications. Or, <laughs> you know, yeah, whatever. So they don't need that, you yeah. know. But knowing the knowing the positive effects of meditation and just how it's becoming proven scientifically through some of these studies, mm-hmm. actually at UCLA, I'm so proud um, <laughs> that, you know, are studying the, the brain and... You know, the brain waves on meditation and how it's helping people with PTSD and post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. I mean, I can't believe the the revolutionary studies that are coming out on a consistent basis on the positive effects of yoga and meditation, if only for your mind and your body, mm. you know, for your body just to feel better. I know I feel a lot better after I practice. I feel more open. 
I feel the energy running through my body. I feel stronger. I feel more able to do what it is that I need to do throughout the day. And then mentally, it helps me to be more decisive, to actually make decisions, to see the bigger picture so that I'm not trapped in reoccurring thoughts. Brian used to say that you think 80% of the same thoughts every single day. And some of those thoughts you need to think, right? What am I going to eat today? How many, how many going to get to here? Or, you know, when am I going to go to bed so I can get six to eight hours of sleep, all those sort of things. But then some of those thoughts are really not serving you. You don't need anymore, <laughs> you know, those like, com- yeah. And especially as kids, like I know for myself as a girl growing up, especially in that dancer setting, I was constantly judging myself and mm-hmm. comparing myself to other people and being like, I want to be like Britney Spears, whatever it was. <laughs> um, And, um, you know, and so, and you do that kind of stuff. But I think that with the practices of yoga and meditation, kids can get such great tools, you know, for managing that sort of um, peer pressure or stress. Um, And I think that it's great that adults are, um, are learning these practices and that parents are bringing this into their education with their kids and one of my dream projects is to bring yoga to school teachers so that they have these tools to use with kids in the classroom so when they have 40 kids running around and they can't settle them down because they need to learn their basic mathematical skills you can do something like a pranayama exercise you know you can do a breathing exercise that helps you just to Come back into your body to settle the energy down and just to be here now. And I I feel as though if people start living even just those, you know, those first initial basic things, you know, take care of your physical body, eat well, take time to reflect instead of react so much, yeah. right? It's about responding and being conscious of your of of how you are being in a situation or react i mean i remember getting (laughs) i should be saying this on a podcast whatever (laughs) i got into a like an argue with my mom recently and i just remember (laughs) like i just sat there and 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 whereas like the little kid in me kind of wanted to fight back on everything that she was saying it just stopped and i let her speak and i let her move through the motions of like and really listening, right? We Open love my you, mom, ears. still, though. I love, no, I love my mom. <laughs> but, like, really listening to what she was saying and not taking it personally. And then to, like, stop and choose the response, right? Yeah. So it became less about, like, fire versus fire. And it became more about, like, the only way to stop fire is to water. Water. Right. Absolutely. So it was so cool. It was so cool to just have those tools to tap Mm -hmm. into and to be less reactionary in that way so um i really i just really believe in this practice and i really believe in the tools that it can you know that it can bring into your life so that you can you can really live a live a beautiful life that's more just enhanced and loving and all those sort of things so it was great and then you know we kissed and made up and it was awesome i mean it's it's incredible how many people are practicing yoga. I mean, uh, in America, there's 20 million people practicing it regularly. 20 million, that's a lot, and it's mm-hmm. growing every day. And it's of all varying ages. There's people who are little kids. I have this, like, 7-year-old kid who keeps coming with his mom to my classes at Yoga Salt. But in the same exact class, there'll be somebody who's 75 years old taking the class. So mm-hmm. it's all age demographics. But something that, you know, always makes me feel a little... Um, 
probably uncomfortable is the idea that yoga is going to be for the privilege that it is for somebody who can only afford to buy a hundred dollar yoga mat, seventy five dollar skinless towel, two hundred dollar yoga outfit, and it starts to become one of those things that's for the elite, and it becomes um, something that's not accessible to the general public, which is something that I really don't want to see happen. It's actually one of the reasons I started this free podcast is so that we can actually share conversations like this, mm-hmm. so that we can share information like this to the general public so that they can take some of these ideas off the mat and into the world, into their daily lives, and hopefully it can help um, elevate them. And my question really to you, I guess, through all of this is, uh, what is your thoughts on the commercialization of yoga? Yeah, so it's so interesting because we're seeing social media, right, oh, as yeah. Um, as a platform for sharing yoga across... Hashtag podcast. Totally. (laughs) Salty thoughts. And so I really believe that social media is a beautiful tool for connecting with people all over the world. I think it's amazing to keep connected on this virtual uh, platform. I think it's spreading awareness of topics that need to be discussed that maybe were hidden underneath the covers at some point in time. I love how fast things get Um, shared through social media Um, and I love that it's reaching more audiences I mean I really love that I can film some classes on uh, on certain websites that are an affordable cost that are seven to ten fifteen dollars a month and that you can get unlimited access to some really great teachers definitely we are so lucky in LA to have so many amazing and incredible teachers and teachers teachers and people who, you know, I mean, it's funny because now even I was in India in October and you're kind of starting to see how their culture is getting influenced by the social media culture here and, and all that kind of stuff, like all this sort of transparency that's happening. Hashtag Bollywood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, and so, so I think that there's a really beautiful part, actually, to the quote-unquote commercialization of yoga. Um I also have a fear, actually, around what people's interpretation or understanding of yoga is. And I have a fear that people are going to think like, oh, I can't do that because I'm not a bendy body or I don't look good in a Lululemon outfit or, or whatever it is. So I do have a fear that, unfortunately, some people are turned away from the practice based on the commercialization of yoga on social media Um, but I think that even through my own process of unraveling what that is just really coming back again to yourself and like asking yourself what it is that you need and knowing that yoga is this multi-dimensional practice Mm. right that is really founded on meditation right and and being with yourself and coming into the present moment and taking action towards steps towards yeah um you know, taking social action, right, towards steps for the greater good. Um, That's the Bhagavad Gita and Yoga Sutras, right? And, you know, I think that there's a place for everything, right? There are people that can afford the the expensive yoga memberships and the private lessons and the nice yoga gear and all this kind of stuff. Um, And then I also know for myself that when you take that all away, right? So this is this is my home practice. When I take that all away and I just wear my 
whatever clothes that I have at that moment, which is usually something that I've worn for the last five years, no joke, <laughs> and, um, and it's just me and my yoga mat, then you start to realize that all that stuff doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Does it make your life better? I mean, whatever makes you happy, but don't allow your happiness to be codependent on a product. Yeah. I mean, or, a, or on anything else. It needs to be, that that bliss needs to, to be fostered from within. And that's what this practice really offers, right? So I appreciate the commercialization because I appreciate how it's spreading the practice. Yeah. Um, but I think that as teachers and as influencers and as people who are constantly out there in the social media sphere, we also have a responsibility to make sure that we're sharing the wisdom of these teachings. Yeah. Yeah. So it doesn't get lost. I mean, yeah, you can't be dependent on the clothes you wear. I mean, the shorts I'm wearing right now, they were, I've, been, I've had them since I was five years old. These used to be pants. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> you guys are like, wow, really? My yeah. God, Tamal's really saving his stuff. Um, oh no. No, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I again, just feel like yoga is something that should be shared freely, and it should be shared um, in so many different outlets. Like I do appreciate the commercialization of it as the as it is spreading the word, but at the same time, it's got to be a place where, like you said, whether people can practice online for free or make it very, very inexpensive or give outlets where people can actually go to a studio. And there are donation studios out there. There are places out there in the world that um, are also just completely free for the public to enjoy. But uh, my dream is to eventually create some kind of atmosphere where people can do teacher trainings on a donation basis, do... um, meditation or retreats and just crash these things and learn and grow without having any kind of financial restrictions. But then the hard part about that is how do you open up a facility where, you know, your rent is so much so and it costs them as much to do it and all. So there's definitely loops that have to be there. But one of my dreams definitely is to eventually be able to open up something that is accessible, you know, and hopefully that a lot of people will take that kind of um, idea and run with it. I mean, you look at all these places around the world, all up and down, even just here in California, where people have a lot of money and they're very inspired by something, whether it's karate or something, and they open yeah. up literally a youth center that's free, you know, and things like that. People are doing it, but I want somebody who, and hopefully myself one day, will be able to financially be able to um, donate something to the world and to the community. And I think that's a, an ideal way it should be handled, an ideal way it could be given out and um Mm. just gave me an idea (laughs) good well i do because we are running out of time yeah um is there anything you want to share any last thoughts salty ones ah last salty thoughts yeah i mean i think it's been it's been such a great conversation with you a great journey you know that um it's been it's been great growing up in in la and seeing how yoga has transformed so quickly you know for us and um, how many resources we have available to us here. And I think that the conversation is continuing to get more and more interesting over the years. And and I love to be a part of that process. And yeah. so um, thank you so much for having me here. Thank you. I mean, I've, I've known you for so long, I realized. Yeah. It's kind of crazy how long we've known each other in reality yeah. since we were little munchkins. 
<laughs> munchkin teachers. It's true. Really, like yeah. early 20s. Um, I know. It's great, though. Anyway, it's always great seeing you, and thank you for coming in, sharing some of your wisdom. Absolutely. For all of you listeners out there, until next time, namaste. Namaste. Namaste.